From athletes to celebrities to, well, just about anybody, he interviews them all. This is the Quinn Mar Podcast. All right, and welcome to the Quinn Mar Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Quinn Mar. On today's episode, we have host of the Scott MacArthur Show, 1-4 to 4 on TSN 1050, Scott MacArthur. What's going on, Scotty? I'm pretty good, bud. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, the first thing I actually do want to get into, because this is the third time I've had you on the podcast, and uh, the first time having you on since you got your own show on 1050. What's that been like the last, what, year? At least now, year and a half? you did go to school for radio like you just said so how did you end up getting the Blue Jays reporter job after being at uh, Team 1200 back then when it was Team 1200 then you're on uh, 580 CFRA and then the Sens post game so how do you go from that to the Blue Jays reporter well TSN 1050 launched in April of 2011 so um, the radio station I'm on now is almost uh, seven years old and it's owned by Bell Media, just like uh, CFRA and what was then Team 1200, but what is now TSN 1200 up in Ottawa is owned by Bell Media. So the opportunity uh, kind of presented itself within the company for me to make it known that I was interested in making the move to Toronto in time for the launch of, of the radio station. And um, I didn't get anything handed to me. I, I went through an interview process and all of that. And uh, fortunately, I ended up getting a job. And I ended up starting. I ended up starting as the co-host of, of the evening show. And just... I think you just cut out a bit there, Scotty. Are you still there? Yes, I'm there. All right, sorry. Did you just uh, answer that again? I, it just cut out right at the end of your answer. You want me to pick it up from the start of the answer? Or yeah, no? yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. It, it was just right at the end, but yeah, if you just uh, say it again. Okay. Well, what happened was is TSN 1050 launched in April of 2011, so it's coming up on its seventh birthday, and we're owned by Bell Media, which is the same company, of course, that owns... 580 CFRA and what was then Team 1200, but what is now TSN 1200 up in Ottawa. So when I got word that TSN was launching a radio station in Toronto, 
um, I made it known that I was interested in in transferring within the company to be part of the launch of that radio station. It, it would have served two purposes at the time. Number one, uh, Toronto is, whether anybody else elsewhere likes it or not, Toronto is the top media market in the country. And the second part of it for me personally is being Oakville born and raised, all my family's down here in Southern Ontario, in Oakville or Burlington or Waterdown, uh, Toronto. So for me, it was an opportunity to come home if they'd have me. And, and I didn't get handed anything. I went through an interview process and, and all of that. I had to earn my way, for lack of a better way to put it. But I got a gig. And all I was told at the time was that I'd been hired to be a co-host of the evening show that would start at 7 o'clock and run until 11. And eventually, when Jim Taddy finalized his deal, they let me know that Jim Taddy was going to be my co-host, which was incredible because I'd grown up watching Jim on TV, and he was one of the people I looked up to as a kid in Canadian sports television. So that was, that was unique. And we did that for uh, the better part of a year. And during that time, the, the news radio station, TSN 1050, had hired Jonas Siegel to be a Maple Leafs reporter. And I had been told through the grapevine that the station's goal eventually was to hire somebody to do the same job Jonas was doing covering the Leafs for the Raptors and for the Blue Jays. Um, it just was unclear at the time, I guess, when those positions were going to be created. Well, in November of 2012, Alex Anthopoulos swung that huge deal with the Miami Marlins that brought Jose Reyes and Josh Johnson and Mark Burley to Toronto. And two weeks later, he swung the deal with the New York Mets that brought R.A. Dickey to Toronto. And I thought to myself, if ever there's a time where it's time to have somebody cover this Blue Jays team each and every day, they're a hot story in the market again. Mm -hmm. They're a relevant story. Maybe it's going to be this year. So I approached my boss and I said, I'm interested. And he said, well, it's funny you bring that up. We actually are considering creating the position. Um, he said, I'll keep you posted. I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, others are going to interview and you're going to have to earn this gig. And I said, well, whatever, that, that works for me, but I'm, I'm going to stay on you about this. And sure enough, I went through the process where I did a couple of different interviews with a couple of different people, including some executives on the television side at TSN, went through the extensive process. And fortunately, I ended up getting, getting the job and uh, began in Dunedin in February of 2013. Um, and so I covered the Blue Jays for four years, traveling to every game for three seasons, 2013, 14, and 15. Obviously was around for both of those playoff runs that they had in 15 and 16. And then after 2016 season ended, I transitioned, as it would turn out, back into a full-time radio. Now, obviously, you've only been away from it for a year and a half. Um, is that something you'd ever want to get back into? I know it's kind of hard to... Th to answer that now because you're so fresh of leaving that uh, field? Well, I think, I mean, that's a very broad question because you'd have to be more specific about um, what it is I would be doing. If you're asking me, would I want to do the same job uh, that I did? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. No. Okay. No, 
Um, life is important to me. Work-life balance is important to me. Um, being there for the people I care most about and who care most about me is important to me. Um, and and I, I say this without a hint of resentment or remorse, um, but I will be honest with you, and, and anybody, Quinn, who's listening to your podcast who has traveled a lot for work will know what I'm talking about. It is not nearly as glamorous as it's made out to be. Hmm. It sounds cool to be on the road all the time and living out of a suitcase and jumping from city to city and hotel to hotel, uh, but you got to remember, specific to the baseball season, it involved me picking my life up and moving to the Tampa area for six weeks, which actually I quite enjoyed because you, you literally pick your life up and you move down there and you live your life for six straight weeks. You're, you're on a pretty regular routine. But it's the regular season where baseball teams play 162 games in 183 days. There are no consecutive days off except for the All-Star break. And even some of those singular days off in the season involve travel from one city to another, or you're leaving Toronto to start a road trip, or you're returning to Toronto from the end of a road trip. I didn't fly the charter with the Blue Jays or anything. I was on commercial airlines the whole time. So I didn't have the convenience of arriving and leaving with the team kind of right after games or series or whatever the case may be. So it just got to be a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I just think work-life balance is something that I won't compromise in my life, not for anybody um, and not for any particular career. I, um, I say this with confidence. I'm an employable human being, and, and if, you know, if, if it ever gets to a point in any walk of life, I'm not just talking media, but if I'm doing something else and work-life balance becomes significantly compromised, I will not be in that profession a day longer uh, because I, I just I am not going to give up uh, my work-life balance. I appreciate my job. I love my job. I work hard at my job. I invest myself in my job. I give 100% to my job when I'm working at it. But I've become much better about being close with the people I care about most. And that is a hugely, hugely underrated thing because I – compromised that for far too long in my life mm -hmm. um speaking of that it was on bell let's talk day uh that you had talked about mental illness of uh, your own experiences uh on your show that day was that involved while you're on the road uh, uh reporting for the blue jays for those three years yeah 2015 got very difficult um when the Blue Jays made the Price and Tulowitzki acquisitions, they became the biggest sports story in the country. Mm -hmm. And um, my workload, which was already significant, increased. And uh, that's nobody's fault. I mean, I, I had a responsibility uh, to cover uh, what turned out to be the biggest sports story. And that, in a lot of ways, is a blessing. Um, but I wasn't able... Uh, to properly apportion out the work that was being expected of me. And for a considerable period of time, I was doing a lot of TV. I was writing the equivalent of a newspaper column or, or blog per day. And I was doing a lot of radio. Um, and, and so 
you know, you're effectively doing three full-time jobs. It, you know, with, with travel and everything else. And even when you're home, you're not really home because if the Jays are on a homestand, they're playing every night. Um, you know, I, I, may, I may be in town, but I'm really not available to people. And so that really started to catch up to me. Um, and I had, you know, at times in my life, uh, I can trace it back now to when I was a teenager. At times in my life, I, I had gone into dips where my mood was not in a, in a, in a, in a very cheery spot. But, you know, I, I've had a couple of periods of my life that were really bad uh, from a mental health perspective, 2008 into 2009, and then again in 2015 in the second half of that year. And I would say, if I'm being completely honest about it, I probably didn't get back to feeling totally healthy or totally normal or what, what's normal and healthy for me until about midway through 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that gives you some context. I, I effectively came off the road after the 2015 baseball season. Did the odd bit of t- traveling in 2016, a trade deadline in Houston, the playoff series down in Texas, and then again in Cleveland. Uh, went to Fenway Park for the final regular season series with Jays and Red Sox in the 2016 year as well. I hardly traveled, though. Uh, but all of that being said, it took a year and a half, I would say, until my brain uh, and body kind of pieced itself themselves back together. So on that uh, on that Bellets talk day in January, it just so happened that um, I had left work early, so I I was able to catch your show that day. And you talking about that and like bringing awareness to your own mental uh, mental illness issues kind of helped me talk about it too. Like, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Like I've been having a little bit of trouble with anxiety, a little bit of depression, that kind of thing. And um, so if you could kind of like talk to like one person that like like it has it in them and like won't come out and talk about it. What kind of advice would you give to them? Oh man. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of direct message conversations on my Twitter account with, with people, uh, about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just encourage people to, to challenge themselves. Um, it's such a delicate subject because everybody has a different story. Everybody has different reasons for why they might be going through something. Some of it is genetics. Uh, Some of it uh, can be experiential. What are you experiencing in your life? What have you experienced in your life? But for me, on that day, uh, it served two purposes. It was actually very cathartic for me because it was a reflection of the point I've reached in my life where I'm not scared to tell people what happened. I would have been embarrassed and ashamed to have shared that on the air even the year prior, which was the first time Bell Let's Talk Day had come up while I was on the radio hosting a show. I didn't go that far. But I think aside from my own personal catharsis, I was thinking through the week leading up, so kind of the half week leading up to the Wednesday Bell Let's Talk Day, How am I going to handle this this year? And I I, I grew comfortable with the idea of sharing a lot more because I think 
for me, it would be easy to say, there are some days when I don't feel like getting out of bed, or there have been some days in the past where I don't feel like getting out of bed. But you know what? A lot of people go through that. That to me felt like I could give more than just that very generalized comment. A lot of people can relate to that comment, but it it's very general. And I thought back to the story from 2008 where effectively the the message I was delivering was I, I tried to run away from my life. I tried to run away from my existence, and here's how I did it. And I ended up holed up in a hotel room for four days where I'd only get out of bed to go to the bathroom. I had a bottle of pills on the night table next to me. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with them. Um, I only drank water. I didn't eat any food. I lost like seven pounds or something. That to me was something I was comfortable talking about and I felt like might even be more relatable because if somebody hears me say, I can't get out of bed or I don't want to get out of bed sometimes, I'm not letting somebody in. But if I say, I jumped in a car, I drove for four and a half hours, I didn't even want to see my parents, I ended up at a hotel, I lay in bed for four days, I had a bottle of pills on the night table beside me, I was considering ending my life, I only drank water, I only got up to go to the bathroom, and, and it all seemed normal. I think that there would be one person out, and all I was concerned about was maybe one other person. There would be somebody out there who would hear that and say, wow, I've been there too. Or, wow, I'm going through something terrible, and it's not exactly the same as what I'm hearing him say, but I feel less alone now because somebody else is talking about how messed up things got for them. And that was really the only goal of it. I. You know, I think Bell Let's Talk Day is a very important day. Um, it's a terrific corporate initiative. But for me, it's also very personal. And so it's one thing to throw out the Twitter handle and encourage people to donate through, you know, making sure they're texting and making sure they're tweeting, making sure they're watching the, the, the social media video and, you know, all of that. It's another thing to actually say, here's why it's so personal. Here's what's happening. And if you're going through something, I've been through something too, you're not alone. And that was the message. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, you uh, that's a lot to take in, actually. But uh, like you said, it you wanted to hopefully help that one person. And I know you uh, mentioned that you did get a bunch of DMs. But like, again, you did help me kind of be able to talk about it a little more. So I do appreciate it. And I thank you for uh, bringing that up that day. Well, and I congratulate, I thank you for that, but I congratulate you for, you know, having the confidence. And I, I like I said, I've, I've been talking to some people, still am, mm -hmm. in, in direct message on Twitter. And, you know, a, a couple of people who I've been speaking to have been really afraid to go to their doctor. Mm -hmm. um, they're worried about how their doctor is going to respond to them, worried about how their doctor is going to react. Is my doctor going to judge me? Is my doctor going to ask me? Why didn't you deal with this sooner? And I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like your doctor understands and your doctor has seen a lot of different patients with a lot of different needs, be they physical, be they mental, whatever the case may be. You're not going to get judgment there if you have a good doctor. Step up for yourself. 
um, you are worth it and challenge the fears that you have because, you know, you we only got one shot at this and, and give yourself the best shot. And I'm extremely fortunate in that I have a loving, supportive family um, and wonderful friends who have rallied around me at my very worst and have helped carry me through this. Not everybody has that, and I understand that. But that's part of why I open up my Twitter DMs. If you're feeling alone, hit me up. I'm more than happy to discuss it. I'm mm -hmm. not shy about it. And your life is worth it. The message is your life is worth it. Yeah, and there's not enough people uh, doing like exactly what you're doing, like having people be able to message them and stuff like that because like a lot of people do feel alone. And, uh, yeah, there's not enough, not enough people well, nobody, helping. Like, Quinn, nobody, nobody's a hero here. No. It's just, I'm a person, you're a person, we're people. Nothing's perfect in anybody's life. And if you're struggling, it's just two people talking through direct message or whatever. I mean, that that's all it is. Um, you know, I've had a couple of people say, well, you know, it's really big of you as a radio personality to do this. I said, I'm not a radio personality. I'm a person. I'm a human being. Mm -hmm. You're a person. You're a human being. Um, whatever line of work you're in, I ain't qualified for it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... Uh, we're just a couple of people conversing here. Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't want me investing your money. Uh, you wouldn't want me fixing your toilet. You wouldn't want me, you know, doing whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I just happen to be somebody who talks on the radio. We're just people. And if we can help each other out, the world's in a very small way, a slightly better place. Absolutely, absolutely. But no, it, it is good that uh, there are more people doing it each year. Um, to kind of still stay on with you, uh, your career in general, going like way back, what was like your first reason to want to get into broadcasting in general, or maybe like sports broadcast to be more specific? Well, I mean, I, like baseball is my, my favorite sport. I, I clearly remember... Um, being influenced by some of the play-by-play -play figures of, of the 1980s. Um, I remember Don Chevrier, the late Don Chevrier, would call Blue Jays games on CTV. Uh, Tony Kubek, uh, who, uh, you know, a, a half century ago now, uh, maybe even more, uh, was a New York Yankees shortstop. He was the first Blue Jays color analyst on TV that I remember. I remember listening to Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth on the radio. Uh, Bob Cole, who is still at it and still awesome on Hockey Night in Canada, is a huge uh, influence on me. And I remember being seven or eight years old, and I'd go out into our backyard, and my brother, who is four years younger than me, I'd take him out back, and I would be the Blue Jays, and I would tell him which American League team he would be, and we would play a baseball game one on one, <laughs> and it was less about it was less about the playing of the game. I mean, hell, he was four, five, six years old when I was eight, nine, ten. Uh, although I, if my memory serves, he'd often beat me. <laughs> um, but but it was more about me broadcasting the game, describing what was going on, throwing out the statistics, imitating. Uh, the broadcasters that I would hear on the radio 
or see on TV. Um, and then in the winter, I'd take it, my brother out front of the driveway and we'd play road hockey. And I would be the Maple Leafs because I'm the older brother. I get to pick and I'm the local team. And he would be whatever team. And we had a bunch of NHL jerseys, um, kid size that, you know, my folks, I used to love collecting those things. So my folks would get them for me for Christmas, birthday, whatever. So I'd throw a jersey on him, throw a Leafs jersey on me, and we'd play road hockey. And I would broadcast the game. So the old, uh, you know, the old answer to that question that I've always given is I knew at seven or eight years old that I, I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. So um, at 38, uh, which is how old I am now, um, I've known for, I've known for more than 30 years that this is what I wanted to do. Was there ever a time when like that was the only thing on your mind you wanted to do? Did you ever kind of get scared that it might not work out and think, like, I don't have a backup plan, I don't have a plan B to fall back on in case this screws up somehow? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, high school, I think, for a lot of us is is kind of a one of the first clear demarcation points in our lives. And for whatever reason, I was excellent at math in elementary school, and I was excellent good to excellent in math until grade nine. And I can't explain for the life of me what the hell happened in grade 10 onward, but I was life and death to pass any mathematics course from my sophomore year of high school on up. And so I started knowing that I wanted to get into journalism, knowing that I wanted to get into broadcasting, knowing that that's how I was going to take my, my career path or expecting to, I started to gear my high school courses toward English, toward creative writing. I, I would any writing course that my high school would offer, I I took it. Um, I re- remember uh, in ninth grade, so breaking into high school, you had an option to take art, drama, or music. I took art, which was a mistake because I can't draw stick pr- people properly, let alone <laughs> anything else. But I figured, hey, I got to knock one of these uh, art art elective type courses off. I'm going to do art. Well, I ended up in the later grades circling back and taking drama. Hmm. I wanted to do a little bit of performance. I think there was even one year where if I wasn't the only guy in my class, there might have only been a couple. Like, I mean, um, kind of cool on the ratio there. But also, it was it was it was an opportunity for me to in class, act, to get on stage, that sort of thing. So I really, in my mid to later high school years, geared myself toward all of that. And there were some bumps along the road in post-secondary education. I actually did get into Carlson for journalism, and I was out just as quickly as I got in. Um, I, I, you know, I struggled in year one. Um, it wasn't hands-on enough for me, and there wasn't enough journalism in year one. So I, I think they weeded me out like they did a bunch of others. And I kind of bounced back a year later uh, when I went to Algonquin College and took their radio program. I had a visit with a guidance counselor at Algonquin. I said, look, I can't sit in lecture halls for three hours. I need to be told what to do, how to do it, and then sent off to do it. And they said, well, we got that's what community college is. And we've got this very well-regarded radio program. I got to warn you, only 50 of 400 applicants get in each year. So can't guarantee you, but 
You can write the entry test. Our teachers are people who are in the broadcast industry and are well-connected, so you, chances are strong. You can get a job as long as you're a well-acquitted student who's doing well and working hard. You know, your teachers can help facilitate your entry into the business and all this stuff, and and that's kind of how it took off. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, it's, um, it was, that you know, it's one of those things where um, once I realized I wasn't good at other stuff, I put all my eggs in that basket, and I thank God it worked out. Yeah, and you've been living the dream ever since, right? Well, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't often dwell on that, to be honest with you. It, it's, um, it's, I, like, it's just kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, it's very easy. Uh, when I, when I start talking like this, I just want to be very clear. Like, it's, it's, it's very easy for me to forget how fortunate I am because a job is a job is a job. There are some pressures. There are some other things that go on. But ultimately, I am doing what I've always wanted to do. And I'm often approached by people who want to know how they can get to where I am. Um, and so sometimes that brings me back and makes me realize, no, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate mm-hmm. um, to be where I'm at. Often what I find myself doing internally, and and perhaps it's because we're all this way, we're all thinking about the next thing. It's like, well, you know, geez, like give me an example of somebody you think's at the top of the mountain, like a James Duffy mm-hmm. or Jay and Dan or, you know, whomever, uh, Ron McLean or like you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, geez, you know, like now that I'm here, I want to be that one. <laughs> like, and... And what I've tried to do, having gone through some of the mental health difficulties that I have uh, in recent years, is now just more to stop and smell the roses, to work hard while I'm at work, and to just focus on being a more well-balanced person, work-life, life-work. I want to put life first. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's become more my priority now. Um, and I find myself appreciative of everything, um, that I've earned because I'm not going to sell myself short, but that I've also had the opportunity and been given the opportunity to attain a lot of, no, no, no career, no life, no, nothing is ever built by oneself. Mm -hmm. There are so many other people involved in that people who support you, people who love you, people who, um, have, believed in you even when others didn't believe in you or you didn't even believe in yourself like it's all that stuff so i have just tried to stop and smell the roses and just kind of appreciate where i am like you said you only got one life you might as well live it happy um a couple more things before i do let you go scotty one thing i've always kind of wondered is like um i i started volunteering at a radio station about six months ago and I got my own volunteer radio show uh, two months ago, and I'm by myself on it. But like, there's rock, like there's music, and like just little segments here and there. Now, for you, you host a talk radio show three hours a day, most of the time by yourself, obviously, besides having guests. And then when you bounce stuff off of uh, your producer Sean or Scriz, how hard is that to basically host alone versus having a co-host to bounce most of your ideas off of? Uh, well, it's, it's strange. Uh, like it, it's, I'm in control, which is a good thing for me because 
I can be neurotic that way. I don't, I don't think I'm a difficult person to produce for or to, to work with if you work with me uh, directly. But I do like the notion of having control. My job is to have co- clear and concise opinions on the matters of the day or on the matter of the day. And so I view it as I am communicating with you about what's on my mind. And I'm involving what I, if I'm good at this, and this is what I try to do, if I'm good at this is a subjective thing. Um, if you've listened to me, you either like me or you don't. Um, and if you don't like like me, maybe you'd say I'm not good at this. But what I'm trying to do is have a conversation with you. Now, if one person is listening, if a thousand people are listening, if ten thousand or forty thousand people are listening, or whoever, it's you and it's me, because each individual listens individually. Mm-hmm. So I've screwed up. I've screwed up if I say you all out there in, in, in listener land or you all of you out there in the audience. No, well, who the hell is all of you? If I'm the listener, who the hell is all of us? I'm, I'm here alone in my car. What, are there ghosts over my shoulder? <laughs> who the hell is all of us that this person's talking to? No, it's you and it's me. And so what I'm trying to do, if I'm doing it properly, is engage you. And if I'm getting a lot of reaction out of you and others as I talk to you and you and you and you and you, all of the others out there who are all individual yous, um, then I can roll with that. And again, it's about having clear, concise opinions. It's about watching the games, following the teams, talking to people who know what the hell they're talking about or who might be able to give you some information on the down low that helps give context to some opinions you have, like whatever the case it is, uh, whatever the situation is, that's all, that's all into it. So, you know, I'm at the point now, knock on wood, you know, 17 years in the business where when I pull the microphone in front of my face, I, I should be able to give you my clear and concise thought on this particular topic that particular topic and if if there are topics that i'm not as comfortable with i will not go there um because a listener can sniff out a host who's half interested in a topic a host who is now not uh not properly prepared on a topic you know a host who um is coming across as anything but authentic on a particular topic. And so, you know, Shawnee will bounce ideas off each other and he might just have an absolute love for a particular issue or a particular thing and he'll run it by me and I'll shrug my shoulders and he'll say, well, we're not going there. (laughs) And I'll turn to him and say, good, because he knows if I deliver a half-hearted message, you will figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good idea to be a half-hearted radio host. So mm-hmm. at this point in my career, I know my lanes, and I, I tend to stay in them, push the boundaries a little bit where I need to. I'm big on the sociocultural stuff and all that. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I go into each segment 
confident in what I want to say, and I take it from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one thing I try to do the most when I'm when I'm on air is like I I picture the like so hard in my mind that I am talking to that one specific person, and that's the only person I'm talking to. I've been getting a little better at it, but that's definitely one of the hardest parts of uh, being on air by yourself. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're talking to your partner, mm-hmm. you're talking to your best bud, you're talking to your grandmother. You're talking to your mom, your dad, you're talking to your, well, you're not talking to your dog, but like you're, <laughs> you're talking, you're talking to another human being, one person, yeah. because that one person could be that person in the car driving home from work who is just looking to drown out his day or her day with 30 to 45 minutes of talk radio as they uh, work toward <laughs> finally spinning into their driveway after experiencing some dreadful Toronto traffic. And, and that is, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a conversation. It's you and it's me. And I would hope it would be no different if we were sitting across from each other at a Starbucks or next to each other on a couple of bar stools somewhere uh, downtown, just shooting the breeze about the Maple Leafs or the Blue Jays or the Raptors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's essentially what the gig is conversation mm-hmm. okay i got a fitness question and then a baseball question and then i'll let you loose um for the for fitness um i think it, it must have been two years from by now yeah two years uh that i was interning at 1050 and you were kind of the person to show me the cre- doing like taking creatine and like i got more into the gym the more i talked to you at the studio and then texting you and all that how is like is your is your gym still the kind of same thing you've been doing the last couple of years or has it died down gotten better uh it's, uh, it's, it's i'm sad to say it's died down um a little bit i i was in the middle of doing uh squat sets uh, God, when it, this would be before the Jays' playoff run in 2016. So this would be September of 2016. And I put the bar back on the rack. And I just looked in the mirror. And I said to myself, you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I literally walked out of the gym halfway through my workout. Hmm. And, and I... I said, you know what? And I'd been hard at it for two and a half, three years at that point. And you know what it's like. You get out of a routine. It's impossible almost to get back into it. But I vowed to myself because I, I, I had a sore AC joint. I'd sprained my AC joint in my shoulder more than a year prior. And it was making uh, lifting just painful. And I felt like I was stronger on my right side. Than my left, A, because that's naturally how I am, but B, because I just, with the AC joint on my left side, I couldn't push as hard as I wanted to. Like, my body needs a rest. And I vowed I would take a rest through the Blue Jays' playoffs, and then when the playoffs came to an end, um, I would get back at it. Well, you know how it is. You get out of the routine. I was out of it for four to six weeks, and it's been a struggle for me to get back into it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I still... I still carry myself reasonably well, but I'm not in the shape that I think a lot of people think I'm in. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm less than a year and a half to my 40th birthday. I turned 40 in June of 2019 and I'm well aware that I need to get back on the wagon because the longer I go, and I work out every now and then, 
you know, I'll hit the gym a couple times a month, but you're not gaining anything when you go once every two weeks. No. Um, but I need to get back into some sort of routine because I know once I get on the wrong side of 40, the longer it takes me to start back up, the less likely my body is to properly respond. So I'm, I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And and then like me being a dumbass, non-experienced advice, it's like, uh, once you get, like, once you get into it, like, there's no going back. Like when you finally kind of get back onto the horse, it's like, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like. After I had a big break for a while and I went back into it, I kind of a couple weeks, maybe a month, I was obsessed and I was like back into it. I'm like, okay, I'm doing right. this. There's no going back. It's like I have to do it at this point. Like I need to and I want to. I don't know if that's the same with you, but. No, it is. Yeah, it, it is. And like I've, I've weaved in and out over the last 15, 20 years. So I, I know what that's like. The other thing is when you're working out, you you naturally eat better. And it's not, it's not because you suddenly become all, all moralistic and you're chasing gains it's it's because when you're working out your body needs fuel and yeah. a, a friggin chicken breast is going to do a lot more that for you than one of those small bags of doritos mm-hmm. so you don't even crave the doritos because that those aren't going to nourish your body and give it the protein uh that it needs to recuperate after after a you know 60 to 90 minute grind in the gym so I often, it all ties in, it's always, always tied in for me. Workout, diet, and by diet, I don't mean going on a diet. I, I mean just eating better. Those things have always been related, the chicken and egg thing. And when I'm not working out, usually I'm a little more prone to have the French fries as, as the side. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little more prone to let myself go. And um, I'm in one of those phases where I'm trying to get back to consistency in the gym but i'm just not there mm-hmm. yeah and you don't want to do it if you don't feel it like there's there's literally no point of trying to get into something you don't want to do at this point as much as you did before right and i, I but there's a balance between going overboard like i think i did mm-hmm. and not doing it at all yeah um, and i've got to i've got to find that balance uh and i'm just I ain't there right now, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I think it was finalized today, or it was just kind of, there's more details released today. Ichiro Suzuki is back with the Mariners on a $750,000 deal, and then they're going to pay him another $1.25 million if he reaches 400 plate appearances. Is that a normal like uh, detail to a contract usually in baseball? Uh, well, I think, yeah, in this particular case, it is. Um, I mean, it's it's essentially a zero risk signing, and uh, what was he? Forty four. I think he turns forty five later this year. Or so yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of up in the Yarmir Yager territory. <laughs> the two oldest players kicking around in baseball are uh, kind of opposite builds. You got Ichiro up there in Seattle, and you got Bartolo Colon on a minor <laughs> league deal trying to make the Texas Rangers, and he's forty four, forty five. But yeah, I mean, if, if, what, what did you say the plate appearances were? Uh, 400. Yeah, so 400. So if you play 162 games, you play the full season, and you get your X number of plate appearances, you'll come in, uh, especially if you hit the top of the order, which I doubt Ichiro would at this point in his career, but you'd come in at about 680, 700. Uh, okay. So what the Seattle Mariners are saying is, we'll give you a base salary that's uh, essentially... Um, a fart in the wind, 750 grand in baseball is, is nothing, but we'll pay you um, more than double 
uh, your base salary in incentives if you hit that number of plate appearances, which would reflect a couple of things. A, Ichiro being durable at this advanced age, and B, not just being durable, but being productive enough that Scott Service, the Mariners manager, is putting Ichiro in the lineup often enough that he hits that plate appearance number. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's essentially, uh, you said another mil two five or something like that. So it's effectively a $2 million contract for Ichiro Suzuki if he is a productive 44-year-old who is worthy of being in the lineup more often than not. Yeah, so most most likely he'll probably end up getting that, I'm going to assume. Right. Yeah. And and at the well, well, that's you, you don't know, right? I mean, if 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 he is absolutely finished, um, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars is a pittance. The Seattle Mariners, if he if he's hitting a buck eighty with a two twenty five on base percentage and can't slug anything anymore, um, if he's got nothing behind his swing and he can't even gap one, um, they'll just cut him. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a zero risk proposition for him. It give, uh, for excuse me for them. It gives him an opportunity to finish his North American pro career where it started. He is absolutely unquestionably a first ballot Hall of Famer. So it's a nice swan song for him in Seattle. And the you know it's a bit of a PR play I'm sure as they struggle to attract fans since they can't seem to get over the hump as being just a middling team year in and year out. Um, so it works out for both sides. It's zero risk for them um, with potential reward, and it's uh, an opportunity for him to continue to make good money by lay people's standards, by your standards and my standards, and it gives him an opportunity to tip his cap one more time wearing the jersey that he first wore uh, when he came to North America, and that he wore for a decade and, and wore so well. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even have to get into this. Like, it's just kind of fun little tidbit, tidbit to mention. It's been almost exactly a year and six months to the day. It was when I last had you on, and that day that wow. we I – was, I was listening to it today, and um, we were, it was the day that uh, I guess Donaldson got pissed off. I guess he struck out twice in the same game when he threw his bat. I think it was his bat or his helmet. And uh, him and Gibby had a little bit of a brush-up. And it's funny because yeah. the two of them had a little bit of an argument yesterday. It was obviously a little minor, but it's just kind of funny about the timing of, of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I heard about that. I, I think um, I think Josh Donaldson um, is an extreme type A personality, and Josh Donaldson is wired in a particular way, and I think... Um, there are a variety of different reasons why Josh Donaldson is one of the best players in baseball, and that is not a question. He is one of the best players in baseball, but it is his attention to detail, it is, it is his drive, it is his competitiveness. And John Gibbons knows that, and John Gibbons knows he needs Josh Donaldson to be out there at third base or you know, might give him the odd off day, quote-unquote, and have him DH to keep him off the field. Uh, but there's no question Josh Donaldson is an important player. I don't think there's anything to worry about with the uh, Gibbons-Donaldson relationship. Exactly. All right, Scotty, I do appreciate you joining me. This is the third time, and it's been awesome every single time. You are having a uh, special guest on your show tomorrow from Florida. Do you want to kind of just give a quick uh, uh, promo of that? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this, and I, I want to give 
Uncle Shawnee all the credit in the world uh, for making this happen. But, I mean, we all know the horrible shooting massacre that took place in in uh, Parkland, Florida, a few weeks ago. Well, Shawnee, my producer, has booked the assistant athletic director of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. I just want to make sure I get the order of that right. Marilyn Rule Heinrich is going to join me tomorrow at 3.20 Eastern time on the Scott MacArthur Show on TSN 1050, and I'm going to talk to her about how professional sports has really rallied around the school. We remember that Roberto Luongo gave a very impassioned speech before a Panthers game in Sunrise shortly after the shooting when the Panthers got home from their road trip. One of the victims uh, was a huge Dwayne Wade fan and was, was buried in a Dwayne Wade Miami Heat jersey. And, of course, Dwayne Wade is, is back with uh, the Miami Heat. The, the Heat are involved in, in uh, you know, being moral support to the school. So I'm, I'm going to get into all of that with her. Um, I want to make sure I have the details down before I start spouting off too much. I've done some preliminary reading. If I'm not mistaken, and again, Marilyn is the assistant athletic director. If I'm not mistaken, the athletic director was one of the people killed. Um, If I'm wrong about that, um, I'll certainly know it by the time I go to air, but I believe that I read that. And also, if I'm not mistaken, Marilyn's husband is a police officer um, who may have responded or been one of the respondents, um, you know, from a law enforcement perspective to this situation. So there's a lot to get into with her. Um, very special guest, very important topic. Uh, uh-huh. So I look forward to that. 3.20 Thursday afternoon, the Scott MacArthur Show. Listen on TSN 1050 AM in Toronto. www, although nobody needs to type that in anymore. <laughs> TSN1050.ca online. Um, you can get us on the iHeartRadio app and uh, a variety of other spots so yeah it'll be uh it'll be an important interview all right scotty like i said always a good time chatting with you i appreciate it we almost just went an hour so yeah i do appreciate your uh your time man well i what you get with radio people bud (laughs) way too long i love Uh, it i'm guilty perfect all right thanks a lot scotty i'll talk to you later anytime thank you